Greetings, everybody. My name is Sean Patrick Green. I'm part of the media department here at the Bread of Life Church. I'm also a drummer, and I have been like that in that position since 2011 when Pastor Mike asked me to um, basically audition for that part of uh, playing a drummer. Uh, we have two of us right now at the at the church, but at the time, I think we kind of lost a few. I don't even know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we had a couple. Uh, one passed away and, and one moved on. Okay. Uh, so anyways, <clears throat> we're, in, we're from Bread of Life Church here in Buffalo, New York. Specifically, I'll go ahead, take all the leg room you want. Don't worry <laughs> about this. Uh, specifically in South Buffalo, and we have outreach amongst our, you know, staff, you know, parishioners, whatever you want to call lay people, where they're all over the place. And um, one of the things I've been doing for decades is a podcast. So I felt like, well, let me bring something to the table to the church, something that's new for us. And so I decided, well, okay, you know, let's do a podcast. And with Pastor Mike's permission, the staff is willing to uh, participate in this, and they don't really know what to expect. So um, it's going to be a couple surprises, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> Sounds wonderful. But it's going to be fun. Uh, so it's really, it's it's kind of focused on um, the, the whoever the guest is. Uh, right now I'm playing host. Who knows who can do that in the future? Um, we're not doing this live just yet. We're doing it uh, pre-production. So anyways, Pastor Mike Stratton, Michael Stratton, yeah. you're not the one that played for the Buffalo Bills, obviously. Uh, no, but I did meet him. You did meet him? I did meet him. Oh, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> when I was in high school, I was playing football. Uh went to a school in the uh, southern part of, uh, southwestern part of New York State, a hmm. uh, place called Salamanca. Salamanca, and right. And I remember we were playing Dunkirk or something like hmm. that. Anyway, after the, bo- uh, after the game, which we won, hmm. uh, we stopped into this restaurant and, uh, to eat. And next thing I know, uh, the waiter said, gee, there's uh, two Buffalo Bills at the bar. Uh, three actually, Sestak, McGuire, and Stratton. Huh. And coach said, "Gee, we have a Stratton on our team." So uh, the waiter went and got Mike Stratton, mm-hmm. the, the the famous one, right? The Buffalo uh, Bill the from Buffalo the seventies, right? Yeah, yeah, right, right. And uh, he came over and spoke to us and said, "I hear you have another Mike Stratton here." And I stood up and he, I shook his hand. I looked up and shook his hand. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I met him. Cool. Now, I've met a couple of Buffalo Bills, Jim <clears throat> Kelly being probably the most famous right now, uh, before Josh Allen. I think Josh Allen is going to take everything yeah. Jim Kelly had di- did to spread. I'm going to open this up here. Right. Open uh, open this can here. But, you know, Josh Allen, I think he's going to take it over as far as popularity yeah. amongst yeah. the history of Buffalo Bills. Uh, but, yeah, I only met Jim Kelly, and when I was a youth – at West Seneca, uh, the, the, it wasn't school. It was the um, Little League football teams. Mm-hmm. I met through our uh, our award ceremony, Curtis Brown. He was really? a running back, uh-huh. kind of back up to Joe Cribbs. So we're talking <clears throat> late 70s, early early 80s yeah. era. And so that was probably the only Bill that, you know, the Buffalo Bills that I got to meet. And... You know, I, to this day, I always think, oh, Curtis Brown, he's the greatest thing, you know. <laughs> and I actually intentionally, and he lived in West Seneca, you know, a couple, um, about a mile or a half down from where I used to live. 
And I intentionally, on Halloween one day, me and a friend of mine, my, actually my cousin, we went to Curtis Brown's house. We knew where he lived. Yeah. You know, trick or treat, you know, is Curtis here? You know, I was <laughs> being like a, like a fanboy of uh, yeah. Curtis Brown back in those days. So, cool. so anyways, we're establishing you're the Michael Stratton. That's the senior pastor of this church, not the former Buffalo Bill. Correct. Okay. So let's take back, let's talk about you more than anything okay. else. Um, now, the Bread of Life Church established in 83? No, actually, uh, it, it became a storefront church, I believe, in 1977. Okay. Uh, pastors, uh, Dom and Lucy Chapani, a, a couple, uh, were uh, elders at uh, Full, Gosp Full Gospel Tabernacle in Orchard Park under uh, uh, Tommy Reed, Pastor Reed. And uh, one time, uh, Holy Spirit uh, really touched Pastor Reed's heart and told him, you know what? You need to start a church in South Buffalo. So uh, Pastor prayed about it and then decided the couple that should be doing it is uh, uh, Pastor Dom and Lucy. So they ordained them and sent them out, and they opened up a storefront church in 1977 hmm. and then bought uh, part of this building, a uh, part we, we built on in 2000, but the original part uh, was a pizza place that was for sale, and one time Pastor Lucy was driving by, and the Holy Spirit told her, this is the place, and the uh, financial advisor for the church at the time uh, uh, was told and went, ha, 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 you're never going to get this church. We can't, we can't afford it, et cetera, et cetera. But things happened, things changed, and pow, they, they bought it. So uh, it's been here since uh, about 83, and mm -hmm. I came in 1985. I started coming. Oh, 85. Yeah, I was going to ask you that, that uh, next. But um, now Greg Carr was the pastor at the time yeah while they uh the Chapanis were elders uh i believe they were associate pastors okay. at that time um yeah greg uh love the man he's a great mm -hmm. guy uh was here and i for maybe two years three years i'm not sure exactly how many but a, a short number of years and then uh holy spirit called him to move to Colorado and be an assistant for um, a ministry out there, um, and that wasn't the um, Promise Keepers, was it? No, no, no okay. it was. I'm just trying to think of the name, and, and uh, it doesn't come to me right now. It will come to me in a minute. But he went out there, and it was a real surprise. It happened relatively quickly, and. Uh, if you know Greg, he, he's a very spontaneous uh, individual. He basically said, hi, guys, uh, just to let you know, I'm moving to Colorado on Monday. You, <laughs> got, you guys got the church. <laughs> and they went, huh? And what year was that? Oh, gosh, I'm, I'm guessing uh, probably early 80s. Okay. So, but, uh, but the Bread of Life Church has a, an established ministry or before it was a church it was a ministry in a home or what was it no actually it, it began as a storefront church okay uh and was established and, and uh incorporated 
I believe, in 1977. 77, and then right. 83 is when this property became someplace, a home. Someplace around homestead. in there, yeah. Uh-huh. Gotcha. Okay. And, and yeah, I've always been confused about that. I try to explain it, and I was like, man, I have no idea. So <laughs> yes. this is why we're doing this. this. You know, we get the people who actually know things instead of speaking. People like me that speculate everything. I was going to say thank you. Uh, yeah, Let, let's establish, you know, people who have the knowledge, anyways. Yes. All right. So now you you stepped in the doors. You said two years after. Um, you said eighty three is when the Chapanis took over as pastors. Um, probably. I'm I'm a little hazy in that as well. Okay. Uh, I do know that they came with Greg. Uh, they were established. Uh, they eventually bought this, uh, and Greg moved to Marilyn Hickey's ministry. That's where it was mm, in okay. Colorado, and um, uh, then the Chapanis took over. Okay, and that happened before '85. Gotcha. But '77 is like the birth Se- year. '77 is the birth. Yeah. Um, yeah, we just celebrated that just 40th celebrated. Um, in 2017. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that was a uh, that was over at the the White Elephant. I think that's the name yeah. of the establishment. We had yeah. a little cake and you know gathering. It was yeah. great. Yeah. All right. So <clears throat> moving forward, now you're a part of this ministry, but you actually you're just getting saved, or how did you well, stumble in a church? Or <laughs> I got saved. It's interesting because uh, growing up, uh, I grew up in a denominational church uh they never really pushed salvation i didn't know what salvation was even Hmm. but i used to go with my mother and i got involved in uh when i was oh 11 12 13 uh with a pastor some of my friends and myself got involved with a pastor uh in salamanca never forget his name david c luck loved the man had biceps like softballs and he he was really trying to start a youth program so my friends and i got involved and we formed a softball team hmm. interesting yeah and that's kind of how i got into the church a little bit so his biceps inspired you is that because uh, of the softball nature it was the softball <laughs> then that i was the catcher because I, I caught in little league very cool and he was the pitcher so i, I kind of uh. got uh uh, Forming a bond, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, anyway, one day, at, uh, one time we went to one of, it, that. this was another denomination, we went to a youth camp, uh, a one-week thing. Mm. And during that youth camp, they had a altar call. Now, I thought the altar call was praying for a buddy of mine who really blew a play and we lost the game during that week. Uh, what I didn't realize was they actually called you up to say the sinner's prayer, which I did do. Hmm. Um, but I didn't even know what I did. So fast forward to when I was uh, 27, 1977, uh, Holy Spirit grabbed a hold of me and through a series of dreams uh, let me know that if I don't straighten up and come to him, bad, bad things are going to happen in my life. And he showed me a few things that scared the snot out of me, I'll mm. tell you. And two days later, I dropped to my knees, mm. uh, took a Bible that my mother had given my wife and myself, um, and in the front cover, it had the salvation prayer. So I reset that and just 
cried like a baby, and that's that's where I really got saved. Okay. Cool. Didn't really walk in it for a whole lot. Um, you said what year was that? Roughly? That was 1977. It's funny, interesting that the church was established at the same yeah, time. Yeah, oh, I hadn't caught that. Very yeah, parallel. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, it wasn't until about 1983 that uh, I really got involved in things and mm-hmm. uh, started going to a, a full gospel church in uh, Tonawanda, and then uh, Holy Spirit directed me to this church in 85 and that's where i really started walking the walk a little bit that's cool and by that time this church was just what used to be the pizzeria basically yeah. gutted out yeah exactly yeah a lot of my my family tells me a lot about you know they people that have come here i did my 40th birthday here i don't remember that i remember that yeah yeah, yeah. did in a fellowship hall and uh, my yeah. one of my aunts and my uncles they they came and they said oh i remember when this was a pizzeria yeah. that's my first time even knowing about it because by the time i was a teenager i was in west seneca and hanging around in the suburbs so i wasn't familiar with what was going on in south park but i was raised up you know up and uh, down the street here as a young kid young kid i had no idea that this was a pizzeria I didn't hang out here. Yeah, as soon as I graduated, I was out of Western New York for 21 years. So wow. <clears throat> never really real, realized what else was going on, you know, in this part of town until I came back. Mm-hmm. Now I hear all these stories, you know, <laughs> yeah. pizzeria. Yeah. And funny thing is, the place is called the Bread of Life. Right. Yeah, you're, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like dough, you yeah. know what I mean? So <laughs> so is this the dough podcast? You know, yeah. we don't have a name for this yet. Yeah. I've been pondering all kinds of ideas. What do we call it? What What's the significance? You know, maybe maybe the Doe podcast. I don't know. We'll go. figure it out. Yeah. You know, we rise to the occasion. <laughs> I don't know. There's all kinds of different puns we can use for this one. Yeah. Um, so anyways, we're, we're, we're just trying to do something new uh, for this church. And again, I've been doing this for decades, doing radio and podcasting. But I just felt like, you know, we have an opportunity here to do something to explain things. You know, sometimes people will have questions even after the sermons, and they might put it in Facebook or whatever, all our social media, and there's mm-hmm. sometimes not immediate feedback, but this could be an opportunity, yeah. you know, like a Q&A for some of our uh, listeners and viewers or whatever. Uh, we do intend to have this on YouTube and then a couple streaming for audio as well. All right, so I was, like I said, I was thinking of some ideas, you know, thinking about the bread of life, the, the origins of it. Mm-hmm. Jesus, obviously, is the bread of life, according yeah. to the Word of God. And I was in John 6 about it. Uh-huh. And basically, he, he was referenced that um, as the bread of life. He referenced himself as the bread of life right. during the sermon in Capernaum. And Capernaum is where he fed the 5,000. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, basically... I noticed that towards the end of his speech, they either stood stood with him or they didn't. Yeah, you know they were all all in or they were all out. So, uh, so that was kind of like another thing studying the word Capernaum, what the significance w- w- of that would be. So, and I'm still working on that part. Uh-huh. So, but Capernaum actually means Nahum's house, really, or Nahum's village. I the, wasn't the, aware of that. The prophet Nahum. Uh huh. So Kaper, like Kaper, Nahum. So that's what the the root comes from in the Greek, anyways. And and that, again, I forgot now what Nahum actually meant, but I think it's like still or peace or something. But anyways, Nahum was the prophet. That's that town was named after, 
And what is the significance of Jesus speaking in that village? Um, obviously, it's the Sea of Galilee. It's his hometown. Right. He's a Nazarite. You know, maybe his hometown people will be more um, accustomed to listen to his speech because he knows how to speak to them. I don't know. But um, that was another yeah. kind of like figuring out what's this podcast? What's the name of it? What are we going to do? It's going to be very <laughs> organic. So we're going to enjoy ourselves. There you go. This is a little bit more lighthearted than uh, um, preaching to people. But it's also kind of like we're going to talk to other people in the region. We're going to talk to people within our uh, our staff um, and our ministries here at our church mm -hmm. so people know what we're doing. And then we're going to reach out and have other guests. And who knows, maybe Pastor Mike will be uh, a host one day. Yeah, possibly. Um, definitely I'm the producer, So, but I don't, uh, I don't intend to be the podcast host continuously. We want to bring on other people people that want to uh, talk to each other, you know, uh -huh. and eventually we'll have a bigger table with four people, <laughs> yeah. and that's where we're going, just so you know. Okay, anyways, so the bread of life, what does this mean to you? We kind of brought up a scripture about it John yeah. in John 6 when Jesus was speaking in Capernaum. What does the bread of life church it, uh, mean? What does the bread of life mean to you? Well, it's interesting. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um like I was going to say most of the Word of God, all of the Word of God, it has so many layers to it, so many applications, so many facets, it's amazing. And the way I see it might not be exactly the way you see it, but neither one of us are wrong. Both are right, both apply. Uh, the When Jesus said, I am the bread of life, you know, you just can take it, uh, apart uh, analytically, uh, what's bread? In the time of Jesus, it, it, it was not only just sustenance, it was the foundation of sus sustenance. It was the foundation of life. And I believe what he was, firstly, or what he was saying is, uh, I am so vitally important to you, like bread is so important to your life. I am spiritually so important to your life. And if you don't have me, you don't have life. Because if you don't have bread, most likely in that region, your life is going to be uh, really problematic and, and maybe over. Hmm. Um, so, you know, the first cut is I am what you not only need, what you have to have, what is fundamental and and uh, bedrock in in your life is me, and I am that life. It's interesting. The uh, I am not sure, but I would love to look up uh, the Greek word for life. Oh, I I did that. Did you? Is it Zoe? Zoe, yeah. Okay, that's what I thought because that's mm -hmm. the second part of it. Yep. He's not talking about. Um, uh, organic life uh, on the planet, like my life or your life. Mm -hmm. Zoe is a very specific word in, in the Greek, and it refers to the life of God. So the second layer might be, I am that fundamental that brings you into the life of God and the life that God wants for you. 
And uh, that, to me, is extremely powerful. The, it, that opens the door to what some people refer to as kingdom living. Mm-hmm. And we could spend, I was going to say, years on this. But um, the kingdom of God is uh, so important to the body of Christ. We are part of that kingdom. And the kingdom of God can be defined in a number of different ways. One way is God's way of thinking, God's way of doing, God's way of listening, God's way of speaking. And what I believe Jesus is saying in that second layer is, I am the foundation to help you be, that your life be all that God wants it to be. I am the foundation that... that uh, draws you in or directs you into the God way of life, which is monumental because by ourselves, you know, the words, uh, by ourselves, we can't do it. The word is very clear and it says in the flesh, in in our own natural state, there's nothing good in the flesh. And I, I, you know, know some of your background, Sean, you know my background. We both can agree there is nothing good in the flesh. Absolutely. Not, Not anything but that zoe life that that we have in christ uh is huge is huge and sometimes i feel like i i just scratch the surface of the 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 meaning of that and the depth of that but he jesus is the foundation of it he is the road to it he is the help to get us not only into it, but to maintain us in it. Um, so he's the bread, if you will, for that whole platform. And that's just two layers out of God only knows how many. Yeah, well, in my word study, <clears throat> just breaking down what bread of life means, because, you know, if we're at the Bread of Life Church, it's good to establish what that really means to yeah. the general public. Right. Not everybody's into being... A Bible scholar, but they should be, should be studying the word, not just reading it. But anyways, the word uh, literally, these are the Greek words for it. It's it's the artos of zoe, and artos means food composed of flour mixed with water and and baked. So it's baked too. It has to be baked. Mm. Can you imagine eating the dough? You know, like (laughs) people try that cookie dough stuff in their ice cream. Mm. So baked bread. But also just means a meal, like your sustenance. Mm-hmm. And then zoe, meaning life, it's also the word that you use. It's funny you said it. It just means vitality. Right. So it's basically the bread of life, who is, um, it's an analogy for who Jesus is. He is the sustenance of our vitality. vitality. I like that. That is like rich. Isn't that rich? Yeah, absolutely. But we have to be baked. <laughs> so is that, so to me, I say, I look at it like that's the baptism of fire. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like. In other words, you're going through trials and tribulations, even though I'm calling you or you're the called and you got all these great ideas and these great ministries, you're still going to have a trial by fire to prove yourself, you know, to prove to me you are, you know, faithful to me. Yeah, it it reminds me of a a psalm and forgive me that I don't have the address. I I usually do for this one, but as it goes, uh, that many are the afflictions of the righteous. Right but the Lord delivers us out of them all. 
Right. So, yeah, like you're saying, you go through it. You know, life happens. And sometimes it's our fault. Sometimes it isn't. Sometimes we're just uh, observers on the side, and we get splashed with life or mm-hmm. uh, something like that. We just get sucked into it. Uh, and nasty things happen to us. But yeah. I love that. But the Lord delivers us out of them all. Amen. That's awesome. And it's yeah. true. I, I can be a witness to that. I mean, so many times I'm in a predicament. You know, it could be financial. It could be physical. Yeah. You know, it could be just emotional. You know, I, I've I've been delivered out of a lot of these types of situations, as I know you have. Mm-hmm. So what would you tell somebody that, may I'm going through it now. What's, how do you handle, how do you, like, white knuckle it, you know what I mean? Like you're on a roller coaster ride. What do you do? How do you handle it? How do you sustain yourself in the middle of that? Well, well first and foremost is getting the word of God in your heart. Has to. Because that's your foundation. That that's what's going to propel you through it. Um, it's interesting because I'm just preparing for Sunday. I'm going to be teaching Sunday, and one of Holy Spirit gave me two words to concentrate on, and the first one is hope, H O P E. The biblical hope is very different than the worldly hope. Worldly hope is something like a throwing the dice. Either you're going to win or you're not going to win. I'm hoping I'm going to win. 50-50. Yeah, or less. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the biblical hope, uh, actually the definition of it, one of the definitions is confident expectation. And the scripture that says uh, we have hope in the Lord, that can be uh, translated as we have confident expectation in the Lord. Uh, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Uh, talks about faith and hope uh, and it, it's that confident expectation that one God's with you two God's for you he's protecting your front your sides your back your top your bottom um, and he is going to bring you through it um, without that hope is it's it's a tough road to hold so to speak um, it's a tough place to be in so if you're in a a position that you, you really is not good. First place, hope in the Lord, because if you're saved, if you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, um, miraculous things have happened. One, you've been adopted. You are now God's kid. You're God's child. Two, you have been brought into the body of Christ through what is called a not a covenant, the covenant. It is a blood covenant, a covenant's an agreement between two parties. And the body of Christ, through Jesus, has a covenant with God, an agreement with God. And you can read about it in Genesis 15, Genesis 17, Genesis 22, covenants all through the Bible. So if you're saved, in other words, if you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are part of that blood covenant. As part of that blood covenant, God says very clearly, and he, he uh, says it in the New Testament, that uh, he gives us, uh, I believe it's 1 Peter, that he, we, are, we have been given everything that we need for life and godliness. He has already provided that. And because we have covenant with him, he has sworn by his name that he will provide for us, he will protect us, he will defend us, he will 
provide everything we need for life. So if you're going through something and you're saved, the first thing I would suggest is you have hope. Walk in that hope. And that hope is I have a covenant with God. I have a blood covenant with God, the most solemn covenant that ever was made. I have a blood covenant with God, and the blood that was shed to form that covenant was Christ's blood. So he's obligated to help me. He is obligated to provide for me. He obligated himself to give me every all the promises that apply to the situation that benefit me. So that brings hope. And with hope, I can walk through it. Um, like we both know, Sean, uh, if it was if it was my choice, I wouldn't walk through anything. I'd walk around it, you know. I don't want to. Sure. Yeah, I don't want to go through this stuff. Mm-hmm. But many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers us out of them all. And as we walk through it, we mature. We become soldiers. We become um, experienced soldiers in the army of God. We become battle hardened where we just don't um, stand in the corner or shivering, that we actually start to go out to battle, and then we go out to more battles, and then we start winning those battles, and then we start having victory after victory after victory, um, becoming mature in Christ and in the Word. So the thing I, w- I would encourage you is have hope. If you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have a covenant with God, and He's backing you up. He's promised he sworn by his very name that he will back you up and you will make it through if you haven't received jesus as your lord and savior real good idea that you better do that because perilous times not only are coming they're here now and it's only going to get uglier and there's there's going to come a day when uh and i believe it's i personally believe it's going to be coming soon there's going to be coming a day when this whole thing is going to end. This age, this church age is going to end. Jesus is coming back. And if you haven't received him as Lord and Savior, it's not going to be good. If you have, it's going to be joyful. If not, it's going to be horrible. So, Yeah, a lot of people are feeling a pinch already after, uh, even before COVID, but even more so <clears throat> the the um, exaggeration, if you will, of all the painful times that people have had. Yeah. You know, people are uh, secluded to themselves, you know, and yeah. generally the world was offering outlets to, to get escape or whatever your your pain or your suffering or whatever you want to be, whatever you want to call the situation. But the COVID is like, it, it made everybody kind of think about things self-reflection kind of self-examination where are you really at you know um, some people heeded to that opportunity to to grow and some people you know spoil that time to to try something that's that's above them but a lot of people they were seeking for you know refuge of some sort yeah they were looking for ways and a lot of people came to christ as a result of that yeah um, but now that we open up again, it's like okay, a lot of people are starting to get comfortable yeah. again, and like oh, I don't want, I don't, you know, I don't need Jesus. 
But no, if anything, yeah. you need more now than ever. Absolutely. I've seen this over and over. Uh, I was uh, engaged in 9-11 uh, mm. extensively for almost two years, and uh, I, I saw it down in New York. I saw it nationwide. People just flocked to churches mm -hmm. during 9-11 and the uh, weeks and months uh, after that. But like you said, after a while, it just kind of weaned and waned and waned and waned. Yeah, and, and back to status quo. The I'm good syndrome. Yeah, status quo isn't good. <laughs> yeah, I don't need Jesus. I don't need any of this. This is all foolishness or whatever, you know. And that, like the what Bible even says that the cross is foolishness to yeah. to man. So yeah, the fool says. Yeah, the fool says in his heart that there is no God. Bad. Yeah, and so you're a fool, just like Mr. T used to say. <laughs> I pity the fool. <laughs> So, all right, <clears throat> I want to ask um, more about your background, too. Prior to stepping in the doors here, you had a career in the yeah. government. Yeah. Um, so what was your background? What did you? Well, um, it's kind of interesting because uh, I look back and the um, Lord really has directed my path to get me to this position. And uh, I'll, I'll explain that. Um, like I said, grew up in Salamanca, went to college uh, in the Adirondacks, a uh, uh, science and, and engineering and science school named Clarkson, hmm. uh, where uh, I majored in chemistry, became a chemist, um, went out, and when, I, when I graduated, I went out and uh, worked for a multinational firm, a company called National Gypsum, uh, manufacturing up manufacturing operations literally worldwide uh, building products uh, flooring wallboard uh, ceiling tile etc and uh, during that time uh, just prior to that time the federal government uh, the Nixon administration had uh, created a new agency called OSHA mm -hmm. Occupational Safety and Health Administration that was charged with enforcing safety and health regulations in the workplace across the U.S. Uh, and one of the first regulations they, they brought up was exposure to asbestos. Hmm. As, as we all know now, asbestos is really a nasty compound. But uh, back in the early 70s, 60s and 70s, it was in a lot of things. And it had already been known in the 30s and 40s that it was the human carcinogen. Hmm. And you could also get a disabling lung disease called asbestosis. Hmm. Already knew it. So anyway, uh, I graduated in 1972. Uh, OSHA was formed in uh, 1968. Um, National Gypsum had three asbestos mines in Quebec, and they had asbestos in a bunch of their products. Hmm. And they wanted someone that could actually measure the airborne concentrations, analyze it, et cetera. So uh, they hired me as a uh, chemist and also trained me as what is called an industrial hygienist. Um, my wife thought industrial hygiene was uh, taking care of teeth in industry. No, it's, it's measuring uh, chemical and physical agents in the workplace. So I worked for National Gypsum and did uh, uh, air monitoring across plants in the United States, uh, 
for multiple uh, compounds. And then uh, OSHA was looking for an industrial hygienist in the Buffalo area. I applied and got the job. So I started working for uh, OSHA, which is part of one of the agencies that belong to the uh, United States Department of Labor. So that's where I started. Oh, it's a part Department of Labor. Yeah. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. it makes sense because yeah, that's, that's people are working and you got to watch right, what's going on in the Every, industry. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. They had MSHA uh, mines. I thought there would have been, I don't know why I thought that it would have been environmental uh, um, protection agency yeah. or something. But Yeah, uh, EPA has the Bambi stuff and mm-hmm. OSHA has the, the people stuff. Gotcha, okay. But uh, started there and uh, one of the great things is OSHA trains you extensively. Uh, so uh, I spent my first 27 years with OSHA in the field as yeah. a uh, industrial hygienist, uh, cross-trained in safety, um, got into accident investigations, yeah. uh, 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 looked at engineering uh, disasters, uh, uh, just trying to think of all the uh, materials that we we dealt with but basically by the time I got uh, uh, done in the field uh, forensic engineering uh, something exploded uh, it was my and my team's uh, responsibility to figure out what happened why it happened now is that like nuclear plants boilers something like that or uh, no but chemical plants chemical okay uh, a, a chemical plant like explodes. DuPont type places like, yeah okay right uh, yeah. if they and they there was number of explosions uh, uh, in that area. Uh, hazardous waste sites, we we went through them. That was half OSHA and half e, uh, EPA. Mm. Um, worked with the U.S. Attorney's Office uh, on criminal cases at times. Uh, worked with EPA Criminal Investigation Division uh, on criminal, primarily asbestos cases. Worked with New York State. Um, so it was interesting. And after 27 years, um, I was asked and got into management where I actually became the assistant director of, of uh, the Buffalo office. And um, during that time, uh, OSHA also trained me in management skills uh, extensively. And I mentioned that because it was those skills that I brought to the position I have now. Mm-hmm. Um, so the lead, the lead guy in the chicken dinners. That's it. Yes. Make sure. Yes. I don't know if you saw the meme. If you go to our website, you'll see all a bunch of memes I yes. created. Yeah. Uh, unbeknownst to them, <laughs> I created all these uh, memes to promote our chicken dinner, and one of them was him saying, "When I get there, there better be chicken." Yes. Uh, showing those, showing his authoritarian <laughs> side of your, of him. Your memes were loved. I, I, I heard more comments on your beans. That's beautiful. That was yeah, great. That's what it's for. It's all about yeah. marketing. So anyway, that's that's my yep. background was in uh, government in uh, enforcement, mm. uh, and uh, periodically showed up uh, in federal court um, uh, a number of times. Uh, hmm. Actually, I, I won't say routinely, but periodically. We had to go into court. Uh, once in a while, it, it was um, for criminal cases. So that, now, was, that was for OSHA, not for me, by the way. But did you uh, did you ever? Yeah, I know you weren't yeah. charged yes. with anything. No, no. Did you ever? Um, did you ever have sympathy or empathy, maybe, for somebody who 
did something ignorantly and they still were charged and you still were testifying against them? Um, yeah, typically someone that was in that position um, wouldn't end up in court. Uh, mm. And there's, there's two sides to this. OSHA primarily was uh, based in civil law. Mm. And uh, if, there, if, if an OSHA compliance officer found a violation of, of the regulations, they would write up, for lack of a better term, a ticket. You know, mm -hmm. It's called a citation. Mm -hmm. And uh, it may be, uh, might, might contain monetary penalties. It uh, would also contain a date by which it need to be corrected. Uh, that person would, uh, that company would have the right to contest it in uh, a civil court if they wished. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, those citations were against the company, not any individual. Hmm. Uh, where you got into criminal and with the U.S. Attorney's Office is... Um, if there was negligence or... Uh, yeah, purposeful yeah. stuff yeah. where, where uh, especially in the environmental area, mm -hmm. uh, especially asbestos, yeah. rip, rip and tear jobs where they just rip it off the wall, stuff it in a bag and toss it in a field because hmm. uh, there are very specific laws dealing with that right uh but the yeah you can't tear a house down nowadays you can't do demolition with asbestos without something yeah you, you have know, to have someone to go in and, and clear yeah. it so the criminal ones really were were the bad guys um the civil ones uh the company paid it wasn't any individual the only time an individual uh could be charged. Uh, there is a section of uh, the U.S. Criminal Code, uh, 18 U.S.C. 1001, which gets into uh, providing false information to a government official. Hmm. I was a government official, or mail fraud, hmm. uh, et cetera, et cetera. That could get really ugly. But uh, typically, you, the only time you really got into that was the the real uh, snidely whiplashes so to speak, the real the, the real bad actors. So the bottom line is you didn't feel bad at all. <laughs> no. You laid the hammer like, listen, I'm sorry, pal, this is what you yeah. did. And, well, it wasn't quite that that <laughs> blistering. Uh, That's we, probably how I would have done yeah, it. Yeah, we, uh, we would help those folks uh, as well. I, uh, we would provide free, in, oh, pardon me, free information. No worries. Just like a little bit. Yeah, we're, we're working on getting more roomier space but yes. we're starting off yes very little so go ahead um yeah i had to uh we provided free information on on how to fix it we worked with the employer if they needed extra time uh and they were legit we would give them extra time we would give them resources uh we would uh give them uh three or four sources to do other things we would do free air monitoring to see their progress uh so it, it, most employers that we ran into, that I ran into, probably 95% of them wanted to do the right thing, and you would help them do the right thing. They just didn't know how. The law says, you know, you got to cite them, uh, and depending if, if it was a serious type violation, there was a penalty. Uh, that penalty was reduced, wasn't eliminated, but a lot of times was reduced uh, based on... Uh, the employer's response as well as uh, employer's uh, previous things that they did hmm. uh, prior to an OSHA person walking in gotcha. uh, called good faith. So uh, 
OSHA was probably not the most favored agency uh, in industry, I would say, but uh, protected a lot of people. Yeah, we've dealt with OSHA on a lot of jobs I've done. One was Walmart, and Walmart was did not want to be unionized. But yeah. We still had OSHA there, you know, for many purposes, yeah. for safety. Um, but they were, I would have to say Walmart was very intense when it comes to risk management and, um, and, and anything that OSHA required. Yeah. We, they were very strict about making sure we, we complied. Um, but there were a lot of, you know, fly-by-night uh, construction companies oh, yeah. that, <laughs> yeah. oh, we, don't worry about it. We'll take care of this. You know, yeah. oh, it's going to be fine, you know. And um, some, people got, some people got really hammered for uh, yeah. pushing aside the regulations for safety. Yeah. And you'd see that all the time. Uh, employees dying in trenches, being covered by tons of earth. Mm -hmm. Employees uh, falling to their death off of uh, unprotected scaffolding or uh, buildings, high-rise buildings, even roofs. Yeah. So you see that periodically. But uh, anyway, that that was my OSHA. Uh, you had more than one career. No, that that was that was it. Uh, yeah. Pretty much. And, yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. After I finally retired from OSHA. After uh, 38 years and some wow. months, yeah. I tell people I started when I was 12, but anyway. <laughs> but during that time... Uh, well, what kept you that long? I mean, what was it? Was uh, it just financial, or was it you, you love for it? Or it, it wasn't that much financial. Uh, OSHA's pay was, was reasonable. It was good. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was professional pay. Uh, but I could have made probably double, maybe even triple, going out in industry. Mm. But the diversity uh, was wonderful. Uh, no day was the same. Mm. I, I could be in a cement manufacturing operation one day. I could be uh, in Niagara Falls at a uh, accident scene where half a building got blown away, mm. and all of a sudden, okay, what happened? And uh, then. The next day, be in court. The next day, be in the U.S. Attorney's office, trying to figure out what you're going to do from uh, duck dodge and hide asbestos mm -hmm. um, to giving speeches uh, at uh, different trade associations hmm. uh, to. Auditing. You get to move around and travel and yeah, a little you bit. Know, explore. You yeah. know, and uh, that's that's cool. Yeah, it it really was uh, very diversified and uh, fascinating. It, it, hmm. There was uh, uh, no dull moments. Mental stimulation. <laughs> yeah, by far. <laughs> sometimes. Overstimulation yeah, at times. Yeah, sometimes it's like a uh, brain is rolling out of Confrontation, my I imagine, you know, especially yeah. if you're confronting somebody that yeah. uh, is in, in yeah. violation of something. Yeah, sometimes you've got to be thin-skinned and uh, believe that what they said about your mother really isn't true. Mm -hmm. yes. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. Now, did you... Um, so, that, so prior to that, as a child, as a teenager, you grew up here in western New York? Yeah, I grew up in Salamanca. So, that's right, you said that. So Salamanca is, is, a, is actually a very, very unique city because it's actually uh, a city in New York State and it's a city in the Seneca Nation. So yeah. it's like a dual city. Yeah. And there's no nothing like that in this the whole yeah. state. And so you kind of share some of the space and responsibility with this city with two different nations basically yeah it, it was interesting because um 
there was some, uh, I'm just trying to think how to approach this. Um, different facets of age uh, responded in different ways, different generations. Uh, the generation of my grandfather, uh, uh, the way they saw the, the landscape, totally different than my generation. Uh, by the time I grew up, uh, there was uh, Italians, there was Irish, there was Polish, and then there, there was Native American uh, in Salamanca. And with my generation, one was just like the other, you know. Uh, I remember in college someone would say, you grew up with Indians? It's like, yeah, they're just like Polish or Irish or anyone else. Uh, high school fraternity brothers, yeah, they were Native American. Mm -hmm. Guys I played football with right next to Native American. Mm -hmm. uh, some girls that I dated, Native American. Didn't, mm -hmm. Never never thought of it uh, any other way. Mm -hmm. um, but it was interesting how the times have changed <clears throat> because um, fast forward, what, maybe 30, 40 years, um, what well, had to be after 2000, um, periodically, uh, if a contractor goes on native land, uh, outside of the contract goes on native land, um, and OSHA wants to ins inspect them, it really depends on the treaty of that nation with the United States government as to whether OSHA has jurisdiction or not. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Uh, and that and city would have been trickier than most. Salamanca was easy because the, hmm. the uh, treaty between the Seneca uh, nation and the U.S. government was such that OSHA did have jurisdiction for outsiders going on the nation's land. Hmm. But they didn't have jurisdiction if it was uh, a... Uh, Native American firm working on Native American land. Hmm. And the reason I bring it up is that uh, things really got kind of fractionated uh, in the 90s uh, so that uh, I remember twice I had to go down there. And it was interesting because uh, there was two fatalities. Both were contractors. Both were outside. They were U.S. citizens from Buffalo area. Uh, one got electrocuted and one fell. Uh, and there were fatalities. And uh, they sent, uh, we sent down uh, a safety person each time. And the Native American marshals escorted them off the property. Uh, the OSHA people were armed with pens. Hmm. Uh, the Native American sheriffs were armed with Glocks. Hmm. Not, not too competitive. You know? Sure. But, they, but it made it very clear. You will not come on this on this land. So, hmm. um, when our regional office in New York City uh, realized that one, obviously we got a problem. We need to we need to get together. Yep. And they, uh, my boss said, "Well, send Stratton. He grew up down there." So <laughs> I went down and I, first I called their attorney uh, and talked with him. Nice guy, and said asked if we could have a meeting and where we come to some uh, memorandum of understanding where we can work together. And, and they were. They embraced it, hmm. but it was fascinating because I, I went down and went before their um, one of their councils, and what was interesting was uh, like three of the people in their councils I went to high school with, they were my friends, uh, but um, they introduced me as, this is Michael Stratton, a representative of the United States government. 
and it was very clear that they made a, a complete dip, uh, differentiation yeah. between the United States government and the Senecas. Yeah. Good news is we come to an agreement and, and uh, worked decently, and I believe they still do, but mm. uh, it's a, it is a unique area. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I've been down there a couple times. My daughter, uh, so those who do know her name is Mariah. She's uh, autistic, and she just turned 20 this year. But she um, she always would go on YouTube and pull up different multicultural things, mm. you know, and one of them being Native American powwows. She was like, oh, yeah. playing this all the time. I'm like, Brian, what are you listening to, you know? It's not like I didn't know about it. I just wasn't in tune to it like she was. Yeah. So she would play these powwows, and, you know, I was like, you know what? I have to bring her to one of these because she you, really wants to go. Don't you go to a powwow? And I found, yeah, I found that Seneca cool. Nation yeah. host one, and it's actually a veterans uh, organization that they partner with. Yeah. Um, one of their um, people that were veterans, and now they have, like, Native American veterans that are honored oh, at cool. that one. In cool. Salamanca. That's great. <clears throat> so I think probably about eight years ago was the first time I took her, and then we've been trying to go ever since. Yeah. So I loved it. You know, um, fry bread, you know, that's a big deal. Uh, they make the Indian fry bread or Indian right. tacos. Uh, right. So they had a whole different food items, you know. But my daughter, um, you know, she she taught me mm. about Native American culture through yeah. YouTube. Yeah, the culture is so, fascinating. It is. Uh, it's uh, very the rich. Six nations, uh, just... Yeah, it's interesting, and uh, it is so rich too. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, yeah, uh, I have not touched base with friends I had down there a long time ago. Mm -hmm. But uh, ran, every once in a while, I run into one, and it, they're 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 friends, they're buddies, you know. Yeah, and, yep. uh, and they're very friendly. They're very receptive to people who don't know their culture to talk about yeah. their culture. Yeah. They're very proud of their heritage. Yeah. And, um, I've had several conversations. I think one other time they did a different event that wasn't the powwow, and all the ladies that were standing there, and, and the women rule too, by the way. Uh, some, you know, not Native American families might be uh, sad by that, but <laughs> yeah. some guys that think it's, the, it's, the men rule. No, but in their culture, the women rule, and they... they, they tell everybody how things are run so yeah. the rights of the family comes down through the matriarch not mm -hmm. the patriarch yep yeah so, which is interesting as well well the only tie i have to a native american culture i think my grandmother on my mother's side uh -huh. was a uh, as part somewhat i don't know what percentage part uh inuit indian which is northern oh, quebec yeah, yeah so but they all were born and raised in quebec my mother and her family all the rainvilles Okay. So Roger Rainville being one of her siblings. Cool. They are all raised in Quebec, and they eventually made their way to America when she, my mom was like four years old. Wow. So there's some, you know, Inuit Indian in the family, in the bloodline, and it would travel, you know, it would come through my grandmother to my mother, and I could have, yeah. if I wanted to, go up to Quebec and say, hey, you know, I'm part, you know, Native and be like to be part of your tribe, but I don't see myself doing that. Mm. Um I mean, I'm an American born, but I don't even think of myself American, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, guns, or, you know, that kind of, I'm not that kind of guy. <laughs> um, although, Second Amendment, I, I believe in. I want to yes. tell you something real quick. Yes. Somebody I grew up with. Yes. Well, I kind of grew up with, went to high school with, um, which I was very surprised and very proud, uh, a West Seneca West graduate. He graduated 
a year after me, I think 1990, is the current Buffalo uh, police commissioner. Really? Joe Gramalia. Really? He went to West Seneca West uh, with me. Cool. And uh, I always, I was like, when I saw him up there, I'm like, this is the goofy kid, right? <laughs> Seriously, he was kind of like, oh, you know. Really? He was really kind of like a, uh, you know, just a fun guy. He was just yeah. likable. Everybody liked him. He was always, That's... you know. But he was kind of a little, little, you know, quirky. And, um, and I think he played volleyball maybe, some sport. But when I saw him up there, I was like, wow, this is a very different person. And I think it was like the perfect person for the situation that we're in right now. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people who don't know, you know, here in Buffalo about um, the time of this recording, about a month ago, uh, I think it was May 14th specifically, yeah. that um, we had a terrible incident with uh, 10 people being murdered and then three people also fell victim uh, being shot by a white supremacist um, who was not from this, the city of good neighbors. He mm -hmm. was from out of town. Broome County. Yep, way down uh, central New York State, south of um, Binghamton. Um, but anyways, I think Joe was one of those people that was put in that place at the right time for this yeah. season. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I truly believe God is the one that orchestrates leadership, even though sometimes the will of the people, <laughs> like in the Bible even, yeah. you know, will of the people sometimes um, is overtaken, you know, to boost leadership. God says, you know, I'm the one who raises kings and priests and, and kings and um, princes and all that. So um, I don't even know why I went on that tangent. But, oh, yeah, Joe Grimalia. So mm -hmm. he was just a classmate of mine. And I just uh, can't say enough about him. He's very much, uh, I've been listening to the news and listening to his speech today. I don't know if you heard it. No. Um, yeah, but he was just talking about, you know, just the whole gun thing, Second Amendment. Mm -hmm. That might be another topic for another day, but that's yeah. kind of what we're dealing with here in Buffalo is, um, you know, still the remnants of the people that were murdered. A lot of funerals, and our hearts go out to this, to the families, but the, the community. And I brought this up to somebody else once. The one thing that we have in this city that is the positive out of the situation is the awareness that that is or was a food desert. Yeah. And that nobody would even consider trying to help them out prior to this. Nobody even thought that this is something that was in need. And, of course, when you have the news blasting it so much, the awareness was just, you know, abundant. So yeah. now it's like Thursdays, right? You're going to go down there tomorrow, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Yeah. Uh, I know Cornerstone is involved in it uh, from Batavia, but they go in many ministries, many people go to this part that where this incident happened and just flood people with love you know yeah. we're talking about bread of life we're talking about sustenance we're talking about you know food you know for vitality these people needed the natural version of that yeah. but they're also getting the spiritual of it yeah. as well and they're you know i feel and i see it there's a lot of blessings coming from this um situation even though it was a tragedy yeah. um so in your perspective i know bread of life is a big part of what's going on outreach wise out there tell me a little bit about um your involvement with ministries and and um reaching out to this part of buffalo that was a food desert at one point now a food oasis i would have to say yeah. it, it's the word 
that comes to my mind is remarkable. It really is. Um, I remember the first time I was notified. Uh, it was about maybe a half hour after the actual event. Uh, as you know, one of our families uh, that, that go here, uh, the husband is a battalion chief of the Buffalo Fire Department. Their son is a uh, Buffalo uh, policeman. Uh, his brother is a Buffalo, sh uh, pardon me, uh, Erie County Sheriff. A lot of involvement. And we were over at Cornerstone Church in Batavia uh, with uh, about 150 people prepping for a, a tent revival meeting. And I got the call. It, it was uh, Pat Brizzolero, the, the uh, battalion chief. And he said, Mike, pray, because there was a shooting here. At that time, they knew of eight fatalities. He said, there's groups of people coming together. And this could turn ugly in a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. And um, at Cornerstone, myself and another uh, pastor just kind of grabbed hold of uh, the folks that were there. We started praying. Prayer, prayer went out all over the place. Um, that was Saturday. Yeah, it was Saturday. Saturday, yeah. That Sunday, uh, one of the issues, if you haven't been in the area, was that Topps Market was like the only place in the, the neighborhood area. Um, yeah, within that, that, within like a mile or two yeah, of that, other that, options. It sells food. That, that's yeah. your only options. Sorry, I'm going to turn this down. Go ahead. No problem. Keep going. Um, so uh, the evangel uh, evangelical team that was uh, part of this uh, tent ministry in uh, Batavia um, one of the main things that they do is hand out food. Uh, a lot of Goya products are donated to them, and they have a, a big truck, uh, and they give out pallets of food and, and evangelize too. So they went Sunday over there. Um, we started going, a bunch of us from Bread of Life started meeting them on Monday, and um, it, it was, the outpouring was just absolutely amazing. Um, I know people were praying for, you know, something all, good to come out of this. All over the nation. Because all over the world, really. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a Christian hip hop artist that lives in around that area, and we had I was on his podcast actually, and we were talking about, you know, one of my responses was, man, you know, the last thing we need for this situation to to turn into some sort of race war yeah. in our city yeah. Yeah. i'm like that's the last thing we need i mean we we are the city of good neighbors but yes we're very segregated and yes there is some prejudice but for the most part you have a lot of godly men and women out here that that love each other no matter what race color background creed whatever um but dad the last thing we would have needed was was that something that's gonna spark you know white man killing exclusively black people yeah. not only that he, the white people he saw there, he passed on from, and he actually shot one white person. He says, "Oh, I'm sorry," and he passed by them. Yeah, and the reason he showed up there was that was the uh, zip code that had uh, the greatest percentage of of Afro Americans. African Americans. Yep. The interesting part, the, the part that blesses my heart, is, <clears throat> pardon me, we started going over there that Monday, hmm. and. Uh, 
we stayed all week long. Uh, the population there, uh, primarily Afro-American, and um, I, I remember my wife and I uh, handing out food, and we prayed for like 40, 45 people. Mm. And what, in talking with other people, other guy, people that were handing out food, et cetera, uh, what we found was that the vast majority of the people in that area are Christian. Yep. And it, it blessed my heart so much. Uh, we would come up to uh, one or two or three people and ask if you'd like some free food. Uh, great. Love to give it to you. Uh, can we pray for you? And uh, of like the 45 or so people that we touched base with, only three said no. Everyone else said yes. And probably 95% of the people that we talked with was Afro-American. Mm -hmm. So we were praying for them, with them. They received it. They thanked us. And I, I was sharing this with uh, a pastor's group that uh, meets on uh, uh, one day a week here, a prayer group. Uh, I was sharing this last week. It, it, what really hit me was that <clears throat> this wasn't just a person or two people praying for another person. This was a child of God praying for another child of God. I, we were praying for our brothers and sisters, and they were receiving it as their brothers and sisters were praying for them. And um, you saw the results of it. Uh, the the two other things that really hit me, one was the, the uh, flood of uh, resources that went into that area. Um, yeah, it's amazing. So many ministries. I'm just trying to think of the of the ministry, uh, the nonviolence ministry. It's not Promise Keepers. It's um, yeah, I know who you're talking about. I just don't I, it, remember it, the it name. It escapes me. It'll come. Uh, they were there. They had grills set up. They were uh, cooking and giving out hot dogs, hamburgers. They were blessing people. They were praying for people. I think they wear like yellow <laughs> shirts. And yeah, yeah, jerseys. exactly. Yeah, I know who you're talking yeah. about. Um, uh, Red Cross was there. Uh, Peacekeepers or something. Peacekeepers, like that? that's yeah. it. Yep. Uh, absolutely wonderful ministry. Yeah. Um, they were there. Salvation Army was there. Uh, uh, Franklin Graham was there. Other churches were there. Uh, uh, cooking schools showed up. Hmm. Um, just a flood of people uh, of every race that you can think of every color of skin that that is available was their blessing people um and the second part of it which uh, uh pat and i were talking about just amazed me is <clears throat> that a few days afterwards some entities some folks came in that really could have stirred the pot and really turned ugly um and uh, it was rejected. It was rejected. Yeah, I remember uh, and the last, about that. Yeah, the last ones. Um, the first ones were some political-driven uh, uh, people. The second set was uh, radicals, and the third set was ultra-radicals. And each time, that community totally rejected violence. Yep. And... Uh, yeah, they didn't want nothing to do with yeah. it. Yeah. The people that actually lived there didn't want nothing to do with it. Exactly. Now, this is a common thing that throughout the United States, and again, that's another topic for another time, but there are people 
that that's what they do is they're opportunists yep. to stir up dissension, division. That's their whole purpose is yep. chaos and an- anarchy. And, uh, yeah. and you know. That's a credit to that. To that, that community that stood community. up and says, no, this yeah. is our neighborhood. That's not how we're going to react. We're going to embrace this. Come yeah. on. You can yeah. help us all you want. Yeah. And I believe yeah. uh, that uh, that's the reflection of the spirituality of that community. Mm-hmm. There's so many Christians there. Uh, you drive through the community. There's churches on, like, every corner. Mm-hmm. And, you know, praise God for them. Yeah, I've shopped at that. Um, tops before too on Jefferson Avenue several times. As a matter of fact, I was remember four years ago, maybe three years ago, I was uh, in a stage play. Yeah, right down there on Michigan. It was yeah, uh, the, the yeah, African American Cultural Center. Yeah, we went there. So I was playing. You were good basically, I was playing a racist. You yeah. know, yeah. Uh, but every day for practicing, you know, rehearsals and stuff, I would always be stopping at that really? tops to get vegetables whatever you know on my way back in 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 or out Mm -hmm. so i'm very familiar with the area you know and i've done a lot of other things in that area as well i think um pastor steve foreman also did a lot of men's breakfast over there on um at the christ crusaders church okay sunday mornings i was always over there with right in that like a block from there and so they have go ahead have a drink don't don't worry about it yeah yeah, this is a drink-free zone, or no, a free drink zone. Mm. I don't know how to say it. <laughs> we're, we're, even though we're talking, we're really intense, and in, in, you know, in our conversation right now, you know, the the idea of this is just it's a free, um, open conversation about whatever. You know, uh, this is just kind of like the inaugural, if I can say it right, the inaugural. Uh, did was, I say it? Was okay? close. Yeah, yeah. It was close. I'm still learning English. <laughs> Sentence structure, I'm learning all that stuff. Um, so anyways, it's, it's our pilot program for this new podcast we're creating. Um, and I do have a show that I do at home, and I just call it the Sean P. Green Show. And that's just me talking and, and gabbing. But I wanted to do interviews and stuff like that of ministers and whomever, mm-hmm. uh, lay people that are doing ministry. Um, and, or music, you know, that kind of stuff. So, But we have to set it off right if we're going to do it here at the Bread of Life Church, which they've uh, allowed me to, to set up a little place, nice little fake yeah. wood background, knock on wood, yeah. little panels from Home Depot. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and, and I got, and I, just to let you know, these microphones are about 15 years old. Really? And I got these, and it's even on it. It says Radio Shack on it. Oh, wow. Which is now defunct. Yeah. So it tells you how long ago I've had these. Um, but these are $30 mics back then. And, you know, we have I have other mics, trust me. But we're starting off slow. We're, we're going to build this. Um, this opportunity is really to just kind of Q&A for anybody who's on social media. But it's also an opportunity for people to share their heart that don't normally get that chance. Mm-hmm. Now, you have a sermon. Sometimes the sermon is not about your heart. It's about the message God's given you and also whatever he's inspiring you to say on the spot at times. Right. And, you know, this church operates in that way. Um, we don't have necessarily like a liturgic style, systematic way of doing sermons. <clears throat> so we're, you know, very evangelical Christian. Um, and you you kind of uh, proclaim a word of faith, word of faith, word of faith, yeah. word of faith uh, doctrine, basically. Right. And then also, we're also affiliated as a, as a church 
with this new um, group that's called Revival Fire Ministry. Revival Fire Network. Yeah. Network, okay. Revival Fire Network is basically a group of churches that are together with the common goal of, you know, facilitating or preparing for revival in the western New York region. And I think it's spearheaded by uh, Cornerstone, too, yeah, right? Yeah, by uh, Pastor Paul Doyle at Cornerstone Church in Batavia. Pastor Paul is a funny fella. He's a truck driver that is a senior pastor now, and he doesn't come from a, the, a theological seminary. Let's right, just say that. Right. Yeah. Uh, so he's very funny. He's, very, he's got a very unique perspective on teaching the Word of God. He basically takes it literally, and he tells it exactly how yeah. he reads it. So he's a good man. I, I love him. Yeah, he's awesome. And I'm glad that he did a little prophecy for me. Yeah. You know, yeah. while I'm on the drums out of nowhere, you know, didn't expect that. So <laughs> that was really awesome. But anyways, you know, Revival Fire Network is kind of like where Bread of Life Church is is uh, is networking with. Um, each individual pastor has maybe their favorite teachers that are out there. What would you say is like the people that inspire you? And, and you know, you, you take a lot of trips sometimes as well. Oh, gosh. You and your wife, you go to like yeah, different it's, conventions. It's it's seasonal, I guess. Uh, I had one season where uh, when I first got saved, I was looking at Jimmy Swaggart, mm, and I okay. was learning. Uh, my primary teacher uh, throughout my whole career has been Kenneth Copeland. Okay, uh, and uh, we love this ministry. We go to a, a number of his. Uh, meetings uh, across the nation at times, uh, but um, there's also a number of, of uh, people that have come up, a uh, number of pastors that have come up on TV in the last two or three years that uh, I really love. Uh, uh, there is uh, a gentleman that uh, is named Dr. David Reagan, mm-hmm. Lamb and Lion Ministries, uh, that I go to for end times for uh, that type of thing, uh, revelation, etc. Um, phenomenal man has has written tons of books. I'm reading one now for a second time, uh, God's plan for the world, and it is just absolutely loaded with things that you go wow. But uh, them, uh, Jerry Seville, I love. Um, in, in certain aspects, uh, uh, oh gosh, there, there are so many of them. But Kenneth Copeland's been throughout uh, from probably about 1988 to the present yeah. has been uh, a, a real. Yeah, he's definitely a staple in the Word of Faith movement. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, been, he's been really discipled blessed. by the Kenneth Hagins. Hagins, yeah. And then. You know, the senior. We're talking senior, yeah. Yeah, Oral Roberts as well. Right, uh, right. Uh, he actually worked for Oral Roberts for a while. Oh, okay. I think I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. My my background, um, you know, being uh, a youth at the Assembly of God uh, Church, which is called the Full Gospel Tabernacle, here in um, Orchard Park, New York. We just call it the Tab. Uh, Bishop Reed was has been. I was actually in high school. At, in the youth group, same time Amy was, yeah. so we kind of grew up. Yeah. In, you know, I grew up around that. But as I seeked, you know, out, outside of there, living in Florida, I kind of gravitated towards like uh, Stephen Hill. You remember Stephen Hill yeah. during the um, 
Revival in Pen- uh, uh, Pensacola. Yeah. Uh, talk about an intense man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, he's, he's, he's passed away now. But Stephen Hill was, like, almost on point. It's almost like you're afraid to go into the services because your whole, your whole uh, I guess, treasure chest of sins are going to be exposed <laughs> without him, you even knowing him. Yeah. He, 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 I mean, it's amazing. I've been in a service, one of them uh, meetings once before, and he just, it just blew me away. Like, man, how did he know to even say that, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, certain people are men of God, and, and you can tell. Now there's other people like T.G. Jakes was a great um, yeah. inspirational speaker. I really enjoyed listening to his sermons. He made it simple and plain. So I, you know, as I was learning, he helped me understand it and want me to dig more into the word. Um, and then um, I'm trying to think who's um, Perry Stone. Perry Stone, he, I like. Yeah. He used to come down to the church, uh, which wasn't also an assembly of God, uh-huh. to do his camp meeting in the southeast, and so. Our church kind of, you know, embraced him as like yeah. our annual Woody Woodson, if you will, yeah. for our church. So we got, we were blessed to have Perry Stone kind of cool. expound on prophecy, share, you know, stuff that he didn't share anybody else. It was like, wow. And then, you know, I'm watching programs now. He's revealing yeah. all these things. And then I say more, more foundationally, it was uh, Dr. David Jeremiah. Oh, really? Could His be. teaching to me was... It's like it's, it was, he was just always speaking truth. He wasn't a, a motivational speaker. He was telling you the truth. Yeah. And to me, that's what, it's like, that's what I want to hear. Just tell me the truth. You know, just tell me what's, what's really going on in the Word. Teach me the Word. Yeah. When you're teaching me, teach me the Word. Not what you think all the time. This is w- what it is. And he, he's such, so gentle about it. Had a good spirit. So, so those are the kind of people I gravitated towards before finally coming back to Buffalo. And of course, the late Dom Chapani. Yeah, he's the one that draw me here to come to Bread of Life. Yeah, uh, just because of the loving nature, you know his um, his humor. Yeah, you know what I mean. He was very humorous, but he was very down to earth, and he's in your face when he had to be. Yeah, and that's what I liked about him too. So, yeah, there's so many uh, now on Christian TV. There's so many good pastors. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a treasure trove. I, I, Pastor Dom, I used to love, but we have the same type of sense of humor, mm-hmm. which is either really good or really scary, one <laughs> or the other. But uh, That's the legacy that he's yeah, provided yeah, for you, yeah. Yeah. Um, we used to go golfing together, and I, I was the cart driver, so mm. I, I, I was his chauffeur on the course. You're not the caddy, though. No. Well, yeah, I bet the sort of. club for him once in a while. I got while, you, yeah. okay. Yeah, but... Uh, <laughs> Great time. He's, he's playing heavenly golf now. Yes, he is. <laughs> Praise God. So, anyways, we won't make this any further. I think this is a long enough episode for the first one. Um, I don't even think I need to cut it down. I think it flowed pretty well. A lot of information. But once again, like Bread of Life, we're, we're partnered with with uh, Revival Fire, Fire Network. And there's a lot of things that we do around here. We just finished our chicken dinner, which is our spring fest. Um, and we have other ministries that we kind of partner with amongst all of us, you know, not just yeah. um, not just the pastors, but also uh, lay people. And we'll talk about more of those later on. But, um, you know, Pastor Mike is um, does other things outside of our congregation as far as ministry or, or what would you say 
is the biggest thing that stands out? Um, biggest thing is that, uh, well, as, as you said, uh, we are, uh, we have some associate pastors and lay people that have tied in with different ministries in, in different uh, operations, different uh, things that, that uh, they pursue. Um, I think I counted up something on the order of about 20 of them. Um, where my wife and I primarily uh, operate is in uh, connecting with other pastors. Uh, a lot of it is with prayer. Uh, we go to anywhere from three to five prayer meetings with pastors each week. And it, it's a real blessing because uh, in this region, uh, historically, uh, you never saw pastors come together, never. There was always my little fiefdom here and their little fiefdom there. And I have seen uh, pastors of different churches, uh, some of which don't uh, really agree with everything that each other has, but they come together in unity in Christ, and I've seen that more and more, and, and we're participating in uh, a number of them. That really is a blessing. That's cool. Yeah. So we're excited for the future of Bread of Life, and really the region of Western New York, and beyond. Who knows how where where else that's going to lead us? But um, so, anyways, we're going to conclude this episode. Pastor Michael Stratton, our senior pastor, set it off. You know, once again, we're still undefined as far as the name of our podcast. It's going to be good, though. Um, uh, Pastor Mark and I, we kind of like did a first one last year, two two episodes of one we called the Unlimited, the Untitled Unlimited Podcast. But we didn't go any further than two episodes. So we're going to, you know, this is like a refresh. Let's just re relaunch a new podcast. And, um, and maybe we'll just get like a poll going. You, do you like uh, Solomon's Ports? Do you like ne uh, Nahum's Village? Do you like uh, you know Artos of uh, <laughs> of Zoe? Or I mean, what do you want to call it? The Capernaum Cafe. That was one yeah. of the things I was thinking. Yeah. You know, feeding the five thousand. Um, and I do want to make a real quick note. I wanted to mention this because um, I really wanted to get more into you for this episode. But um, depends on when you watch this. Uh, Dallas Jenking, Jenkins is the producer director of the uh, the Chosen series, which has been a success, oh, and, and it's all um, organic. You know, like they didn't have funding from Hollywood to do this. It was all just the support of the watchers, the viewers. So he has another episode this weekend, and oddly enough, it's about the feeding of the five thousand, John six. So. Um, and the studio that they record in, that they they have this whole thing, is in Dallas, Texas area, at Capernaum Studios. Mm. So it's a it's a really beautiful facility. One of these days I'm going to make it down there, but I hear a lot about it. But that's what's happening this weekend is this feeding the five thousand message, cool. and uh, so hopefully you know maybe we'll tie into that a little bit. And um, but yeah, it's just there's so much going on. I'm, I'm I host a film festival here in Buffalo. We're going to do that September eighth, uh, ninth, uh, and tenth right here. It's in East Aurora Village, just south of here. And I mean, we got so much going on. Yeah. You know what I mean? And there's so much more life going on in our ministries. And I I could see I felt it a shift in the spirit just regionally. Yeah. Even before this uh, devastating thing happened. There was something that's going on. I know God's doing something. 
but we just want to be here to kind of talk about it, people's perspective, just get testimonies. You know, that's what this show is really for. And um, you're going to be able to listen and watch us either on YouTube or Twitch, Twitter. We're going to have it on, I don't know, a couple other um, audio platforms, and we'll yet to be. But, uh, but I just want to thank you for watching and listening. If you got any questions or anything, just reach out to the Bread of Life Church. Um, what's what's our Bread of Life um, email? Is it info at bolbuffalo.org? Yeah. Is that the main one? B-O-L, uh, yeah, bolbuffalo.org. Yeah. So you can go to the website. Um, you can give there, too. So if you want to help contribute to support uh, various ministries, the media ministry, you know, we're, we're going to try to expand on that. Uh, we want to have more camera angles. You know, this flat on, just the two of us, you know, it's kind of neat, but we would like to have a couple other angles. So if we can contribute to that. But you can find that also on our website. It's uh, just www.bolbuffalo.org. The giving links, all our social media is there, ministries that we support, and also uh, all of our service times and everything that's going on. Come here Sunday morning if you're local, 10 a.m. We would love to have you. And uh, any th last words before we go? Well, um, I'm just thrilled that we're launching this. Yeah. I think it's going to be very fruitful. And as as you said, Sean, uh, love to see uh, anyone out there that would like to join us. We have wonderful service, great music. Uh, we believe that you will walk into the very presence of the Holy Spirit and uh, some good words from, from God. So we certainly welcome you. Uh, no matter who you are, what you are, what you've done, what you're doing, love to have you come here so we could just love on you, bless you, and help you walk uh, in the Lord. With that, I guess we're done. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Go on to the website. And, you know, what's the thing that uh, Kenneth Copeland says oh, at the end of his Jesus thing? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And we believe that. It's yeah. not just a phrase. Thanks again for watching and listening.